Welcome to Housewarming, a podcast about climate policy and solutions in Chicago, Illinois, and beyond. I'm Annie. This episode is sponsored by Chicago Market. Chicago Market is a community-owned grocery co-op on a mission to rebuild the connection between food producers and consumers. Powered by its individual owners, each of whom own a stake in the store, the co-op will feature local, sustainable foods from producers right here in the Midwest. The co-op, which will be located at the corner of Wilson and Broadway in Uptown, has more than 1,800 owners and expects to grow to 3,000 by store opening. Learn more about Chicago Market at chicagomarket.coop. In 2014, the Union of Concerned Scientists reported that the transportation sector accounted for 30% of all greenhouse gas emissions in the United States. That number has risen steadily in the years since then, and it's estimated that it's now closer to 40%. Transportation is by far the largest source of pollution in this country. Despite that, American cities remain choked by car traffic, and in Chicago, bus and train ridership is actually declining. In today's episode, Sarah is talking to W. Robert Schultz, a campaign organizer with Active Transportation Alliance, about ways the city of Chicago can reduce traffic congestion in the loop, what other cities worldwide are doing to create multimodal transportation systems, and how to make access to public transit and active transportation options more equitable. This conversation has been lightly edited for length and clarity. Let's begin. I'm here with W. Robert Schultz III from Active Transportation Alliance. Thank you for joining us for um, this podcast. We're going to talk about uh, congestion pricing today. So thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Um, Why don't you tell us what congestion means in the context of transportation to begin with? Yes, uh, congestion pricing is a tool to respond to the issue of... um, crowding on the streets and byways of major urban cities in the U.S. and around the world in a way of uh, making people look at the choices that they make with regard to transportation modalities. So does this specifically have to do with cars or does it involve all of the kinds of transportation? Well, it's embedded in the idea and the reason why I came to Active Transportation Alliance is that transportation is a human right. The idea that transportation gives you access to jobs, housing, education, recreational opportunities. And the mission of uh, Active Transportation Alliance is to make Chicago and Illinois better for walking, biking, and public transit to make the world healthier, more sustainable, and more equitable. And what has happened in recent years, there's a whole issue of how many people, how much traffic can you put in an area? And you want people to be able to go about their business in a fairly quick and orderly fashion. But what has happened is we, particularly in the United States, we have a very car-dependent culture. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to um, navigate the world without a car. How does congestion pricing um, impact equity? Like, who are the people who are driving into the city to do their jobs? Well, when there aren't options, everybody <laughs> is forced mm-hmm. to drive. Uh, we estimate that the, uh, the cost of car ownership and operation is about uh, nine dollars to $10,000 a year. And uh, for a low-income family, that could be 15 to 30% of their income. And there are some, there's some literature out there 
this suggests that access to transportation is one of the big determinants to uh, economic mobility moving up uh, the economic ladder. The city of Chicago just released a report as it begins to understand what it needs to do in response to congestion downtown that the main ridership loss of CTA, particularly their bus system, has been in the areas where ride hail is used the most frequently, which is uh, the central business district and nearby neighborhoods such as uh, River North and Lincoln Park and the South Loop, stuff like that. So when the ride hail starts sucking up some of the revenue stream from, from buses, that makes it the bus system they had to make adjustments, you know, if they're losing revenue. And so they'll cut where there's maybe a lower ridership, which is maybe in a low-income community. Have they cut routes in lower-income communities as a result of rideshare specifically? There's been some of that going on. And so... So so if it's the people with more money who are taking the Ubers and Lyfts... mm -hmm. why would that impact a community, a low-income community's route? Because the CTA bus ridership has gone down about twenty uh, percent over the last several years. What we're advocating for is to do things to boost bus ridership, mm-hmm. and one of the important things that about bus ridership is uh, speed and frequency. And so, when you have a lot of rideshare out there, that slows down your buses in your core city areas. Okay, but the so the folks who are riding in Ubers and Lyfts aren't necessarily coming from the low-income community. It's the overall reduction in revenue in the system right. that results in removing the routes. Okay, I understand. Right, right. Um, so before we get to Chicago, are there other cities even around the world? I saw London was doing it, um, a bunch of places in Europe who uh, could serve as a model for Chicago in reducing this congestion? A lot of cities are examining it. As far as I know, no city in the U.S. has, like, rolled out a comprehensive congestion pricing plan. But there are a lot of ideas out there. There are things like open road tollways that we have in Illinois, Mm -hmm. where they just uh, snap a picture of people's license plates as they roll by. That might be, you know, one type of solution. Another solution might be uh, parking fees, increasing those. If parking is more expensive or making it more dynamic, people won't be so prone to drive. So in particular, the so the Chicago plan taxes rideshare companies or rideshare rides for folks who are going into the, the main center of the city Specifically, it taxes the people who are doing a, like a, a full ride, a solo ride right. by themselves more, but taxes the shared ride a little bit. The idea is that uh, we're going to have to see if the fees are enough to make a difference, but the idea is the fees would drive people's behavior differently. Um, and it's interesting to note that uh, one of my colleagues uh, participated in a uh, meeting with ride hail drivers and uh, taxi drivers a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the complaints from ride hail drivers was that they don't like those short trips. They don't like taking people you know, three or four blocks or six blocks. 
because they're not really making any money. Sure. And uh, it's a pain. <laughs> so speaking of um, cabs, which were at that meeting, why do you, do you have any insight on why Chicago isn't including cab rides in this kind of taxing scheme? Probably the simplest explanation is that the uh, volume of ride hail vehicles is almost like a hundredfold more than the volume of cabs out. So uh, there's way more ride hail vehicles seeking fares than there are cabs. But why wouldn't we just do both? I think they wanted to first address where the problem came from. You know, before ride hail, this wasn't too much of an issue. Uh-huh. And the city said something like over a period of time, over 200% increase. So it's made a, a definite impact on, upon the city. Okay, so during that same time, Chicago has also been really great about putting in bike lanes mm-hmm. um, downtown. Is there any data about how increasing bike lanes impacts congestion? Like maybe it's better because more people are inclined to ride because it's safer, or maybe it's worse because there's one less lane. Do we know anything about that? Not yet. The jury's still out. And the other issue is it's just not downtown. It's uh, creating transportation equity throughout the city. So that's why we were supportive of uh, uh, shared rides having a lower ride hail fee that in the neighborhoods, from neighborhood to neighborhood, uh-huh. than when people are just going in the main downtown areas. So are there more shared rides in low-income communities? Yes. Okay. So they're being taxed less if they use ride share. Right. Under the new uh, budget, pro- well, it's not a budget proposal, under the budget that just was passed uh, about a week or two ago by right. the city council. Okay. So, so part of... What I was noodling about when I was thinking about this episode was there are a lot of places. So I grew up on the southwest side. And if you called a cab, it was going to be an hour mm-hmm. for them to come to you. And so in that way, rideshare would have been really useful. I guess my question is, what do we do about the fact that cabs won't go to particular neighborhoods in Chicago or just aren't available to be hailed in, in particular neighborhoods in Chicago? Pretty much anything that's like beyond downtown and Mm -hmm. some of the north side right but rideshare drivers will go there i'm just really curious about this like equity idea so in that way the the rideshare services actually increase equity increase access to transportation for folks in communities where the cabs won't go or don't go because it's not necessarily as as profitable right there has been some benefit and part of that, I think, is driven by the fact that when you look at the number of ride-hail vehicles versus cabs, it's like an extreme difference. I want to talk for a minute about the benefits of congestion pricing. Has there been a study that you know about the positive impacts on the environment, on equity? Like, what, what are the numbers on that, and how, how does it improve those kinds of situations. Well, one of the things that the city of Chicago is planning to do with the ride hail fees is to study uh, just that. And part of the ideas from the fees use that to support bus priority zones or bus priority lanes so that the buses can speed up. I guess right now it's too early to say there's anything real conclusive. 
You know, this is a conversation that's just been, uh, oh, in the public domain over the last two or three or four years. So um, in some cities, uh, the run-up to considering this and looking at the data and making a plan, I took a cursory look at a couple cities, and it was a several-year process for many cities to figure out what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it and that sort of thing. And one of the challenges, I think, with all of this is the geography of a city. I was in Seattle recently, back in May, and, you know, Seattle is sort of, uh, it's like uh, built on two different peninsulas separated by a body of water. Right. And so if you're going to get to one side of the city or the other, you just, there's only so many bridges that <laughs> are out there, you know. So it's a capacity issue. And that's one reason why we always, at least at Active Transportation Alliance, have favored uh, public transportation because a bus or a train has a greater capacity, a greater load of the number of passengers it, it can take. Now, I've been fortunate when I've lived here in Chicago, I've been here for about 30 years, uh, that... Me too. <laughs> <laughs> most of the, uh, all the neighborhoods I've lived in, there's been at least a bus line within a block or no more than four blocks away. But... That's not the case for all areas of the city. Right. And I had a conversation um, this year sometime, or maybe it was last year, with someone about how if the ridership decreases on a certain route, then the paratransit availability is also impacted if the route is eliminated. So essentially, if, if half the people stop getting on this bus, the people who are on that in that area no longer have access to the services that are generally provided for disabled folks in that area. And that's something you don't really necessarily think about. We need to to keep those bus routes. Part of my uh, personal work history is uh, working at Access Living, the disability rights organization. That's that's someone from there. And um, you may have spoken with Adam Ballard. Yes, Adam. Adam's great. Adam's the one who told me that, and it blew my mind. Right. Well, um, everybody's uh, tab, temporarily able-bodied. You know, and as you age or whatever, disability becomes more of an issue in people's lives. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm experiencing it right now personally. I'm actually going to do some knee surgery in a few days. Part of equity is giving access to everybody for transportation, looking at it through a civil rights, human rights lens. Does Active Transportation Alliance have a position on urban sprawl generally? We've been working with many of the suburban communities in Cook County to look at ways that they can make their suburban communities more walking and bike friendly. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of interest in that. And one of the big victories that we had recently was to uh, get established a $50 million on the state level safe streets fund, fund bike and walking infrastructure so that we won't have suburban communities where there's no sidewalks. Right. And uh, we went from being like last in the nation as a state for these issues to now being second. Wow. And so this is coming down the pike. You know, the legislation was just passed this last session. 
So now we're working on the details of, and we worked on the legislation so that the money would flow to the highest need communities. Good. And also uh, we tried to structure it. So uh, a lot of small towns and communities, especially like in suburban Cook County and some of the South suburban communities, they're pretty desperate for revenue. This uh, Safe Streets Fund puts uh, state money on the line that hadn't been there before. So when they do the street reconstruction or repavement or sewer upgrades or whatever, they're obligated 2% of the budget will be used for pedestrian and bike infrastructure. We've also put in a formula to help determine uh, what might be lower income communities so that they can access that without having uh, to put forth a match. Oh, that's wonderful. How would Active Transportation Alliance like to see this congestion pricing policy in Chicago develop to include other provisions that might improve the issues of congestion? Well, we've certainly supported the ride hail fees that are in the current budget now. Okay. But that's just one small step. Right. You know, other things that could be explored are, in some cities are further ahead on this than Chicago is this dynamic uh, parking fees. Okay. So that um, the busiest times of the day, parking is more expensive than others. Uh, I'm surprised they don't do that already. It's, it certainly feels like they do. Right, right. <laughs> I don't think it's systematic, though. Okay. And I don't know, um, you know, if like from private parking lots versus, you know, the street parking, how that matches up. Um, I used to work in the South Loop, and if you were able to get in and out of the parking lot next door, um, it was like $25 the first half an hour. Oh. And then it was like... Uh, 35 or $40 for the rest of the day. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. It made you think twice about uh, driving there. How, do, how would this work in the context of Chicago where the parking meters are actually owned privately? Oh, <laughs> that's a whole Gordian knot. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Third rail. Uh... Yeah, it's um, impacted the advocacy work for uh, transit priority lanes. Mm -hmm. Like within a ward, for example, the first ward, uh, Western Avenue runs through part of the first ward, and they have established some bus priority lanes by the Western Blue Line Station, Mm -hmm. uh, just a few blocks north and a few blocks south. But when they take out parking, uh, the agreement with LAS says you had to replace that parking with parking that would generate a similar amount of revenue somewhere else within the ward. Oh, interesting. So it doesn't give you a lot of wriggle room to make some adjustments and stuff. Right, because people are going to want to park next to a train station. Right. So, um, yeah, the the whole Chicago parking deal has made some of this discussion a lot more complicated. Sure. So just to jump back to something that you said a few minutes ago, so the, is the funding from the tax, from the rideshare companies, is it earmarked 
for the for the study? Yeah, it's earmarked for I the study. I didn't realize that. That's amazing. Right, it's earmarked for the study, and it's earmarked for creating uh, bus priority lanes uh, okay. to speed up the buses. And they've identified certain routes, like I don't know if you've ever written the Chicago bus. Mm-hmm. But, in, Chicago. but if you take it from Michigan Avenue to um, the Blue Line Station, which isn't that far away. I've been on that bus where that's an hour trip. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be. Uh, in London, they have found that there is a, in the sections that are restricted, <coughs> that are told or whatever, um, the property value has gone up in those places. And so it would necessarily push folks of lower incomes out of those neighborhoods. Do we anticipate that being a problem in Chicago? And how do we, what do we do about it? How do we counteract that kind of impact? Well, one of the things we've done at Active Transportation Alliance is recognize that transportation lies at the nexus of many of these issues. Mm-hmm. And we've worked with um, uh, many housing advocacy organizations And so there's been a um, whole emphasis on transit-oriented development, but not what we call equitable transit development. So what we mean is, uh, uh, like along the Milwaukee corridor near California, you have transit-oriented development, but you have these apartments that are like $1,200 for a studio for a Mm, month's rent. Right. What we want to propose and what we have supported uh, is like in the 35th Ward, there's a place called the Emmett Parking Lot that's right by the Logan Square Station. So it's an underutilized city property. And so there's been a long-standing proposal that I believe has uh, gone through all the hoops for approval to build um, housing there that would be 100% affordable. And uh, many of the units would be accessible or be able to be converted to be more accessible. And so many of the housing organizations are working on a universal affordable housing requirement in the Mm -hmm. city. So um, all of these are sort of interrelated. Thanks to W. Robert Schultz for sharing his expertise with us today. The Active Transportation Alliance is a nonprofit advocacy organization that works to improve conditions for bicycling, walking, and public transit, and engage people in healthy and active ways to get around. They're based here in Chicago. You can find them online at activetrans.org and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ActiveTrans. We'll put all of those links in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Housewarming. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. We release three episodes a month, two short episodes that you can listen to on your coffee break, and one longer episode, like this one, that you can listen to on your commute or during lunch. Send us suggestions for topics to housewarmingpod at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter at housewarmingpod. Housewarming Podcast was produced and created by me, Annie Metz, and my good friend, Abby Wilson. I'd like to thank my co-host, Sarah Burry, our sound editor, Alana Martyr-Epstein, and our graphic designer, Reagan Carey, for everything they've done to make this podcast a reality. This episode is sponsored by Chicago Market, a community-owned grocery co-op coming soon to Chicago's uptown neighborhood. 
Learn more at chicagomarket.coop or on social media at chicago underscore market. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe in Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear the latest episodes when they're released. Follow the pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. If you like the work we're doing, you can also become a supporter on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash housewarmingpod. We'd like to give a shout out to our first patron, Emily R. Thanks for contributing. In our next episode, we'll be talking to the 40th Ward Alderman, Andre Vasquez, about the Save the Trees ordinance he recently co-sponsored. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.